can't ride on my little red wagon. You can't ride on my little red wagon. Front seat's broken in the wicket, the wicket, the wicket, the wicket. <laughs> What's up, y'all? This is the Nick Bartlett Show. This is a Sports Pack 12 original. So don't forget it, y'all knuckleheads. If you didn't figure it out by the title, my name is Nick Bartlett. I'm the broadcast manager here at Sports Pack 12. I'm also a staff writer at Oregon Sports News. I've had my articles featured in the Seattle PI, 750 The Game, and Go Local PDX, and a bunch of other random media outlets and places and shenanigans and all like that. This is a sports show about Pac-12, current events, affairs, obviously the action of the field, and the conference in totality. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the show, if you've been here for a long time, eh, maybe thank you. Nah, nah, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, let's get to some Pac-12 action. Welcome back to the Nick Bartlett Show, everybody. And thank you for tuning in, as always. Since we last spoke last week, the action on the hardwood has given us some interesting results. And uh, sure, a heck of a lot to talk about. In today's episode, we'll analyze that the Pac-12's hoop season is doomed, just like football. I'll break down Stanford's roster in detail, and as always, we'll end today's show with Bartlett's random topic of the day. We got some extra gravy on the fries today, so uh, (laughs) let's uh, hop right into it here. So what's happening with the Pac-12 hoops? All right, the gravy on the fries got me. So, all right. (laughs) After last week's slate of games, many fans may be left wondering if the Pac-12 hoop season may be slipping into similar fate as their gridiron counterparts. And if you've been following closely the the developments over the last two weeks, uh, felt disconcerting to say the least. Last Saturday, the undefeated Bruins lost to the Cardinal, who were missing three key starters. And not just starters, but three real, real key pieces. They followed this loss with their next game against Oregon getting postponed, which could have proven an opportunity to get back on the right track and kind of give that conference, that team at the top, that around the national landscape, you know, team or analysts are probably looking for looks like that isn't going to happen just yet so circling back here the Bruins really should have handled Stanford with or without Chris Smith I mean if the Bruins are really that good Cardinal missing three starters you got to get it done moving on here another team at the top Oregon can't seem to get themselves on the hardwood three other last four games have been postponed with their lone contest coming against rival Oregon State in which they lost whether it's their fault or not, it certainly doesn't bode well for the Pac-12, and it's also likely to involve the game against USC on Saturday and another game against UCLA on Monday canceled, which is making it five out of the, five out of their last six games being postponed or canceled. And those two games, aforementioned games, actually have already been canceled, but you got to wait and see if it actually happens. You never know when this season they may throw in a random game here or there. So... The other two teams at the top, USC and Colorado, haven't necessarily screamed elite either. Already broke down both these squads last week, but here is a quick synopsis. First, starting with the Trojans, in their last five outings, they barely beat UC Riverside, Washington, Washington State, and California. Throwing a loss against Oregon State in the middle, and I don't know if I'd feel safe putting my money down this team. As I stated last week, This team is extremely talented from top to bottom, probably the most talented team in the Pac-12, largely due to Evan Mobley, but they're not playing to their full potential, and that's just it. They're not playing to their full potential 
They really need to get that. They have a chance against the Beavers tonight. And last but not least, the Buffs. I'm actually going to lay off CU because they've been pretty solid with the exception of the UW loss. Maybe, maybe it's because they beat my Cougs in back-to-back outings. Either way, they may be the only hope the Conference of Champions has at a deep tournament run. In a normal season, I really do think this team could get upset in the first round. But due to the unusual COVID cancellations, just having a senior point guard like McKinley Wright could prove crucial come tournament time. I mean, absolutely crucial. I said last week they may get upset in the round of 64 or the round of 68 last week. I am willing to reconsider, thinking maybe a second round team or at the top Sweet 16, just loving the way McKinley Wright impacts the game. Still want to see more from him in terms of getting his own shot in crunch time, but the, the impact this guy has in the game, man, he he's a good player. Man. He's a real good player. So where does this leave us right now? We again have no dominant teams, rampant COVID cancellations, not quite as bad as football, but they're there. And pretty soon, it's probable that the country starts laughing at our conference again if it's not already happening. As it currently stands at this moment on Thursday, January 28th, 12.42 p.m., uh, we have five teams projected to make the NCAA tournament with no teams projected higher than a number six seed. That's the last time I saw the projections. Maybe we have a team at the number five. Maybe CU slides into the top four, but you know, nothing in that number one or two range. This is an indicator that our conference, actually, you may be surprised, actually isn't as bad a shape as we originally thought. And even though we won't have that top seed, that doesn't mean someone can't get hot and pull off a couple of upsets. And here's the key. Here's the biggest factor, something that a lot of people may be missing. It is the fact that most teams in the Pac-12 play nasty defense, real nasty, dirty defense. The five teams thought to make the tourney right now in UCLA, USC, Colorado, Oregon, and maybe Stanford, they'll do good things on that end of the court. The Buffs lead the group, only allowing 63.1 points per game, which is good for 37th in the nation. The Trojans allow 64.7 points per game, which is good for 56th. And as we continue down the list, none of the three remaining schools that are projected to make the tournament allow more than 70 points per game. And all in the top half of the nation in points per game allowed. So that bodes well come tournament time when the games get a little bit tighter. The pressure is going to be amped up, obviously, a little bit. Defense really helps in these scenarios. Even at the bottom of the conference, teams like California and Washington State are defensive-oriented under Mark Fox and Kyle Smith. It's just a tough old-school conference, and I like that. I really think this could bode well for the future. Hard-nosed basketball right up my alley. I love it. Old-school, keep-it-up conference champions. And this ugly grinded out type of play could prove the tipping factor come turning time in such a start and stop year the Pac-12 teams may be able to take advantage of some offenses who are out of rhythm and again that's all predicated on defense so do we have a Baylor in our conference no but can we make some noise in March I certainly do think that is a possibility I'm not going to say that defense wins championships but at the bare minimum it should give you a shot to compete in most games and that's a heck of a place to start. If you're in it, come March, a couple shots, you can be moving on. So I think our conference really isn't in as bad a shape as people may think. Essentially, that's what I'm getting at here. And that's because of defense. So last week, we took a lick. We took a lick. I mean, I was trying to move on anyway. So I guess that works. We took a lick, dog. So, uh, 
Last week, we took a look at USC and Colorado's respective programs. Today, I'm going to break down the Cardinal with the emphasis on Oscar Da Silva and Zaire Williams. First off, if you haven't seen Da Silva play, he's the heartbeat of Stanford and the main reason the team is even in consideration for the NCAA tournament as it currently stands again at January 28th, 2021. Now, 12.45 p.m., <laughs> the Cardinal are in the last group or in the group of the last four buys, which I think that means they're in. I mean, I don't know exactly what happened to the good old days, the last four in and the last four out, but that means they're in. Anyways, the reason that Stanford propelled into one of the final teams in the tourney is due to the amazing upset of UCLA last week. As mentioned at the top, the Cardinal found a way to knock off the Bruins while missing key three starters in Bryce Wills, Dejon Davis, and Zaire Williams. And it should prove interesting to see if they can carry this momentum forward or if UCLA simply overlooked the tree. By the time you hear this podcast, depends on if you're listening Thursday or Friday, Stanford may or may have not already played Arizona, but either way, here's my roster breakdown. So all statistics are accurate prior to the Arizona game. Starting with the Stanford, the Cardinal, the tree, whatever you want to call them, it all, all, all predicates through Oscar Da Silva. He's a six foot nine forward out of Munich, Germany, and his brother also plays for Colorado as a freshman. But back to Oscar, he is that perfect college player who finishes just about everything in the low post. I mean, before the Arizona game, he's averaging 19.8 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, 2.4 assists, and shooting a marvelous 60.7% from the field. He can literally do it all at the NCAA level, even though he's shooting, whoa, whoa, starting here. So he's shooting 37.5% from beyond the arc, which has improved from 31.7% the year before and 25.7% in 2018-19. He was a really good shooter as a freshman, so it's good to see that he's worked on this again and has regained his confidence as a senior, again, back up to 37.5%. The one knock on him would be that he doesn't possess elite athleticism, which I, which is why I said a perfect college player and not an NBA prospect like USC's Evan Mobley. According to NBADraftRoom.com, he's projected as the 8th best power forward in 2021 and a possible second-round pick in the upcoming NBA draft. Back to the NCAA, though. De Silva just has numerous crafty little moves to get himself open around the rim and finish in traffic. His game isn't the flashiest, but he's extremely effective. I mean, man, he's shooting 60% plus from the field. That That's loud, man. That speaks for itself. I personally just love watching him play, and if the season ended today, he'd be my Pac-12 player of the year. I, I really, really love De Silva's style. He is an amazing college player. Freaking love watching this guy. And even though he only averages 2.4 assists per game, he's a knack for creating shots and openings for his teammates. Sometimes stats don't do proper justice. This is one of those cases. <laughs> I think you guys get it. I, I really like his style, and barring a major injury, his consistency will give Stanford a chance to win just about every game in conference play. But he's not the only player in Stanford. Obviously, this is a team sport. And he may not even be the best player in Stanford's roster. Obviously, I think he is. But in terms of NBA prospects, he's definitely not. That honor belongs to six foot eight forward and Zaire Williams. And he's projected as a lottery pick in the upcoming 2021 NBA draft. I don't know if a lot of people really realize this. There's a lot of hyped up freshmen in the conference. He's one of them, but that may have slipped under the radar. Again, projected as a lottery pick in the upcoming NBA draft. So Zaire Williams back to college. The star Frost is averaging 12.5 points per game, 
5.7 rebounds, and 2.8 assists. And while other players on the roster will undoubtedly need to step up, especially nearing the end of the season and entering postseason play, he is the one true threat, one true player outside of De Silva who can consistently create his own shot. And while some NBA analysts may compare USC's Evan Mobley to Kevin Durant, in my opinion, Williams would be a more appropriate comparison. He is a beautiful, beautiful flow to his game, is extremely effective from 15 feet and in, and he can beat you with a standard jumper, a lofty floater, or take a strong to the hole. I don't think in no way, shape, or form he's on the same level as Kevin Durant. I want to make that clear, but just to kind of give you a style, he's smooth on the offense side of the court, but again, not on that Kevin Durant level. Few people are KD. He also already has one highlight dunk against WCU this year, so the rest of the conference should probably take notice. And he really has a complete offensive game. The one knock would be that he lacks consistency at times, only shooting 36.7% from the field and 32.1% from beyond the arc. But bottom line is, his athleticism makes him a perfect pairing alongside De Silva, making this team a dark horse to make the Sweet 16. Most analysts probably wouldn't agree with me, but I really like the Stanford squad. The one element that could make a deep tourney run in reality is Williams' efficiency on the offense side of the court. If he continues to pick his spots, understand when to be aggressive, and work in tandem with the Silva, watch out. They can make some noise. They really, really, really could. And if you didn't know, Williams was a five-star recruit out of Sierra Canyon High School. And as mentioned at the top, projected as a lottery pick in the upcoming 2021 NBA draft. So between De Silva and Williams, this one-two punch could prove really special. But there are a couple other players to break down. If you want to remember the main two, it's going to be De Silva and Williams. But three other names I'm throw out there. Here are a couple other players to consider. Bryce Wills is going to be a six foot six junior guard from White Plains, New York. And he's the team's defensive specialist. He's been out of action recently due to injury, but his smothering defense presence, or excuse me, his smothering defensive presence could prove vital come turning time. And players like him often go unnoticed, but getting him back would likely be a huge, huge, huge benefit for the Cardinals. His defensive presence, truly phenomenal. He's currently averaging 9.3 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, and 2.6 assists on 55.7% shooting from the field. And even though he is efficient on the offense side of the ball, his defense is what's going to get it done for Stanford. Another player is going to be Spencer Jones, six foot seven sophomore forward from Roland Park, Kansas. And while he may not be as talented as the three aforementioned players, he is a key threat for the Cardinal from beyond the arc. His presence shown in the UCLA game as he poured in 13 points in the upset win against the Bruins. He's only averaging 7.6 points per game and 4.2 rebounds, but his size and smooth jumper could be an important factor going forward. He's currently shooting 41.2% from the field and 36.2% from beyond the arc. The last player I'm going to highlight is going to be 6'9", Junior Ford from North Granby, Connecticut, and Jaden Dallaire. And he's another guy who really needs to put the ball in the hoop to round out the tree scoring attack. Obviously you got De Silva and Williams, but if you can get these three going, they could be really tough to beat. Opposite of Spencer Jones, Dallaire is more of a slasher who is best when attacking the rim. He's currently averaging 11.1 points per game and 5 rebounds. And while he's dangerous around the rim, he really struggles from outside, only shooting 28.6% from three. Really needs to work on that jumper going forward here. But he could prove effective finding space and cutting without the ball, specifically when De Silva has a rock in his hands. If he can keep slashing the rim, he can do some great thing for the tree. So to recap the Cardinal, if they can find consistent scoring outside De Silva and Williams, 
they could really be a dangerous team come postseason. Bottom line is they've been up and down this year, but with all the injuries, this team could really be primed to take a big leap forward. And as it stands, they're currently on the bubble and every game is huge going forward starting tonight against Arizona. It is really, really time for the Cardinal to go get it now. All right, guys, it is time for us to hop over to Bartlett's random topic of the day in which this week we're going to keep the basketball coverage going, baby. And I'm going to break down what's gone wrong with my Washington State Cougar squad. Man, just win or something. Win, boys, win. Oh, man. All right. Um, so I'm going to give you my best analysis here. We're in the thick of hoop season. So for Bartlett's Ram Talk of the Day, not going to be as random, but just want to talk about what I love, and I love this Cougars team. So if you're not familiar with the roster, you're going to think of guys like Isaac Bonton, Noah Williams, and F.A. Abogidi being the only names you may know. But here are three factors why I think the Cougars are really struggling, specifically in conference play. And number one, it starts with the benching of Aljaz Kuntz. Essentially, he was taking every charge and doing every little thing right. He hit game-sealing free throws in non-conference contests. I believe he did that two times, basically helping the Cougars secure two wins. And the main thing here is, how can Kyle Smith preach defense and expect other players to care if he benches someone doing everything he asks, I love Kyle Smith. I think he's a great coach, but what's fair is fair. And you can't preach defense and bench Koontz, who's taking charges, and he isn't like a physically demanding guy. Not probably the most athletic player at the D1 level, definitely not the strongest, and he's still taking charges and sacrificing his body for the team, and the upperclassman finds his way to the bench. I don't know. You can really expect other players to do these same things if it's going to wind you up on the bench. The second thing here, leading me to my point, to my second point, baby, is going to be shortening the rotation. The reason the Cougars were so good in non-conference, obviously minus the weaker competition, is that legitimately everyone was getting a shot to play. You could tell the team loved the freedom and really was starting to bond. And WSU needs to hang their hat on defense, but really doesn't have the talent to do so outside of players like Noah Williams and F.A. Abugidi. This meant that the fresh legs of players like Ryan Rapp Miles Warren, TJ Bomba, they just proved invaluable when giving an opportunity. They may have not scored any points, literally like one bucket, but just making it hard in the opposition, a constant fresh body, constantly pressuring you, forcing mistakes. This is what the Cougars were doing in non-conference, and it seems like they've shied away come conference play, and the rotation is really, really tightened. And I may be biased because I was a bench warmer in high school who seemingly did everything right in practice. But it does feel like Smith's credibility with the players may be shaken. When you're playing everyone and winning versus playing a smaller rotation and losing consistently, the players see this. And subconsciously, they probably have lost a little bit of motivation to do the right thing themselves. Not saying they even recognize it, but from a subconscious level, probably playing a factor here. And the third and final reason, won't spend all day in the coups because obviously they're sucking right now. But again, I love these guys. So... Third reason to be the disappearance of F.A. Abogidi. In the non-conference, he is quietly becoming a household name throughout the Pac-12. And since Pac-12 play started, he's really entirely fallen off. This one has nothing to do with Coach Smith. Instead, it actually just serves as a reminder of no matter how athletic you are, the Conference of Champions is high-level basketball and discipline, footwork, 
and all the little things must be prioritized if a player is going to be successful. Again, athletically, Abigidi can hang with just about every single player in the Pac-12, but he doesn't have the fundamentals down yet like Oscar De Silva does for Stanford. You knew I was going to throw that name out there again. <laughs> and, um, they, you just need to be so fluent to play at the Pac-12, such a high level of basketball. Back to Abigidi. He's putting up solid numbers for a freshman, but nothing like non-conference play in which he had three double-doubles in a row, including a 19.15 rebound game. And the Pac-12 plays only recorded one double-double in totality. Not going to spend too much time on the Cougars, man. I just want them to win a game. They're competing hard and just win. Just one. You're playing the Huskies on Sunday. Just beat the freaking Huskies, man. That's all we need is to beat the freaking Huskies. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's going to do it from... <laughs> now you know how a Cougar fan really feels. Um, that's going to do it for Bartlett's Ram Topic of the Day. And now it's time to conclude and summarize today's episode. First off, the Pac-12 season isn't completely doomed because of our ability to compete on the defense's end of the court. As it currently stands, we have five teams projected to make the NCAA tournament, even with some of the interesting performances of last week. After that, we took a deep dive on Stanford, highlighting Oscar Da Silva and Zaire Williams. And we ended the show with Bartlett's Random Talk of the Day, in which I broke down what's gone wrong with my love, my passion, the WSU Cougars. All right, guys. Looks like I finished this podcast in time, so I'm off to go watch USC versus Oregon State. I wasn't sure if I was going to have enough time. I'm pretty happy about that. So should be a good game. Uh, hope you all have a fantastic day. Please remember, we're all in this together. And as always, baby, Cheetos and Tuna.